our foreheads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this privilege, this wonderful privilege and this honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for the unity that you've provided for this group. Thank you for the fellowship that you've given each one of us. Thank you for the encouragement we receive from each other by each other's faith, Father. Thank you for the inspired word of God that continues to encourage us day by day. Thank you for giving us your mercy, your grace, and your love and making these things abundantly clear to each of us as we step out on faith and go about spreading the great gospel that is your sons, that, uh, that we take on this great commission that we've been given with all fervency and earnestly stepping out and doing these things uh, in a world that just really is seemingly against you. At least the majority seems to be that way, Father. And we're just so grateful for the perseverance that you've given us, the tenacity and the truth that sets us free. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt, to set us free and make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this evening's message title is a special. It's relative to the India Mission lessons. I just went over an outline with you. Uh, this one was titled uh, Leading a Congregation. Uh, remember, this was under the umbrella of a pastor's conference. So the whole first day was dominated by a pastor's conference. And so uh, it was interesting because I'll give you a little background on how um, we ended up here this evening. Uh, this morning, I re-entered my, you know, quote, normal preparatory routine, recliner, coffee, uh, Bible. <clears throat> and before I even began reading the Bible, I was praying to God that he opened up my eyes uh, to his will for all of you. Um, I had been wondering on and off what exactly he'd have me teach all of you on my return. So I know on Sunday, for example, uh, we will most likely be having our official post-mission trip presentation and Q&A. However, he hadn't disclosed to me what he wanted me to teach this evening and beyond. In all honesty, I wasn't even sure he didn't want me to rest a little more. At the beginning of this week, I didn't even know if I'd be back on, on Thursday. Um, and I really left it up to him. I said, if you want to make me, you know, well enough, I'll do it. I'm ready to go back. I could use a little routine and get back to see all of you. Um, but needless to say, after reading several chapters of the book of Exodus, um, he said, in essence, draw them near to me through your specific lessons from India. In other words, he wanted me to share the lessons that I shared on the other side of the globe. He reminded me this up here on the board, the transcendent word, the word of God is timeless and boundless. Just dwell on that. The word of God is timeless and boundless. We, of particular circumstances, are able to relate to others regardless of when or where they live or have lived. The word unifies our hearts with our Lord's and others. In other words, the word transcends all boundaries. And if you want a fellowship, if you want to as I was trying to intimate with you through those funny little letters that I would send, 
um, I really did want you to be there with me, with Joey and I. And um, as far as I was concerned, you were with us in spirit. But um, hearing the word the way it was taught, hearing the lessons that were taught, uh, this is what God told me. He said, draw them together with yourself. Uh, knit them to me by teaching the same word. And it's just food for thought why he would do what he's doing uh, this evening even and beyond. So this is the gist of what he revealed to me after my humble prayer for guidance. He said, in essence, why would you not share your lessons with them? Especially since I know it is your heart's desire to intimate them with your experience in India. In other words, why wouldn't I have you do that? I'm like, I don't know, you didn't tell me. <laughs> I was waiting for you. <laughs> so I'm happy for a multitude of reasons, not the least of which was my fear that I wouldn't be able to share with you as much as possible. I mean, technically, you could have just said, all right, continue with, you know, what's encouraging, why the apostle so encouraging? That would have been the end of it. So I'm pretty excited. So I no longer fear this because he has given me the righteous way of doing so. Uh, by giving you the same lessons I gave hundreds of disciples on the other side of the globe just a week ago. Here's my additional guidance as we endeavor to do this very thing. I just challenge you, and I'm hoping you can get there. Transport yourselves, or whatever that means to you. As I teach these lessons, imagine yourselves being in one of the seats in India. Make yourself, quote, present and consider how each lesson was received by grace through faith and consider the fellowship you would experience. Just try to transport yourself. Imagine that you were there with all these Indian folks. Uh, in this particular case, it was mostly pastors. There were some people sort of sneaking in the back and uh, out and about, um, but it was meant for pastors. Um, but as even one pastor or someone who thought they might be a pastor came up to me after the, after the conference, he said, geez, I'm not, I'm not even sure, given all the scripture I've just seen, I'm not sure that I even have this gift type thing. And that's a good thing. So with that said, let's do this thing together. And just for a little background um, to help your minds get postured, this is what it looked like. Uh, you know, that was sort of the group. Just imagine yourself of being in one of those seats. Um, at the front of that room was the pulpit where I stood with Rajesh, Madhava's son. He was my translator. And just so you know, I'm going to teach this lesson for the most part as if you were one of the pastors present at the conference. So try to stay, again, quote, present and in the moment for the full effect of tonight's message. Just try to do that thing. So this is how I started. I said, I'm assuming that everyone here today is a believer in Christ Jesus, for today's lesson is for believers only. Even so, I'd like to present you with the gospel of Jesus Christ, just in case there are any unbelievers in the audience. This is the gospel, condensed, if you would, a good synopsis of it. Jesus Christ, who is God incarnate, humbled himself to die on our behalf. Thus he became the sinless sacrifice to pay the penalty of our guilt. He rose from the dead to declare with power that he is Lord over all, and he offers eternal life freely to sinners who will surrender to him in humble, repentant, 
fate. Now, with that said, let us begin by considering how our everlasting great shepherd, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, desires that pastors lead his flock. And that is a very important point to begin with, that it's his flock. Pastors are leading God's flock, even though we may from time to time refer to them as, you know, our own. And you might hear me say something like that. You are my flock, but I, trust me, I never forget that you are God's flock. Uh, I am just an under-shepherd doing some good labor. So we must be very careful to remember that his sheep have been given orders to follow his under-shepherds. In fact, they are called to, quote, imitate the faith of these men who have been chosen to lead and exercise authority. Go to Hebrews 13, 7. Hebrews 13, 7. So just remember, as I'm teaching again, I'm teaching to a group of pastors at this point, presumably pastors. That is the primary audience in view. So imagine yourself sitting in one of those seats and just sort of listening, being present. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Up here on the board, imitate their faith. Christian pastors are to lead by example. To lead by example. The sheep of Jesus Christ are commanded to submit to their pastors and follow their example. This puts the pressure of actually being an example on the shoulders of the pastor. This responsibility of the pastor is great. Hebrews 13.8, what's that say? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. This means that Jesus Christ's mind is never changed. Therefore, the sheep are warned not to follow false pastors. Obviously, the assumption in view there, if you're going to submit to a pastor, make sure he's a legitimate pastor. He can be a swell guy. He can even be a believer. But make sure that he actually has that gift before you submit to him. And there's a whole litany of criteria that the Bible lays out for us to discern these things by. Up here on the board, false pastors, obviously unbelievers cannot be pastors. Also, though, any believer that has not been given the spiritual gift of pastor-teacher by God is a false pastor. Men who do not, men do not choose to be pastors. You ready for this? God chooses. Men do not choose to be pastors. God chooses. Now, being a pastor is not a vocational choice. Being a pastor is not a vocational choice, especially not one that a man chooses because he has no other options. For example, no work or income. Even so, as the Bible states, false pastors do exist. So, the sheep must learn to stay away from them. Minimally, if they are not teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ the way I just presented it, then the sheep should not be following them. 
minimally. If they don't have the gospel right, you need to run all the much, all the more faster. But there's more to it than that. Look at her, uh, Hebrews 13, 9. It's interesting how the Spirit began on the sheep side, isn't it? In other words, he wanted to impress upon these, this pastoral group that there's a real responsibility, that there's a lot of sheep out there that are commanded to submit to pastors. Hebrews 13, 9, Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. To the sheep, the Bible says, look at verse 17. Verse 17, Hebrews 13, 17. To the sheep, the Bible says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Again, the assumption is that they are actually leaders. Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your, over your souls as those who, those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Look at verse 20. 13.20 Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, as you can see from Holy Scripture, believers are commanded to follow Christ's under-shepherds. They are commanded. And this is a big deal. If you actually have a shepherd's heart, a true shepherd's heart, that's a really big deal. Because whether you like it or not, you have people depending on you. Your office has a certain dependency on it. So it's a huge responsibility. So this puts a lot of responsibility on the pastor. Up here on the board, we just saw the notion of the great shepherd, our Lord. Jesus Christ is our great shepherd. He is the one who ultimately leads his flock. Since he is now seated at the right hand of his Father in heaven, he has anointed individual under-shepherds to carry on his work on earth. Believers ought to think of pastors, then, as having the authority of Christ himself delegated to them. Believers ought to think of pastors as having the authority of Christ himself delegated to them. To them. Go to Matthew 28, 18. Matthew 28, 18. That's how you're supposed to think about it. <clears throat> Matthew 28, 18. Well, who's the source, if you would? Who owns, who possesses all authority? Well, what did Jesus say? Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Any questions? All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In other words, all authority that exists in this world ultimately funnels up to Jesus Christ. 
Otherwise, it's a counterfeit. All authority. Just think about that. Funnels up to Jesus Christ up here on the board. On that note, this means that any man who exercises authority or oversight over a congregation of sheep has been delegated that authority from the great shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. This also means that any exercise of authority must be consistent with the will of Jesus. Again, this means that any man who exercises authority or oversight over a congregation of sheep has been delegated that authority from the great shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. This also means that any exercise of authority must be consistent with the will of Jesus. So what an aspiring pastor must understand, and remember my audience here, what an aspiring pastor must understand long before he steps out on faith to lead a congregation is that he must always depend on Holy Scripture for guidance. Always depend on Holy Scripture for guidance the way I am right now. Never speculation or even human traditions. And especially not the emotions of people. Well, he's such a nice guy and he's such a great leader in you know, the workplace. So what? Paul arguably wouldn't have fit either one of those. Never speculation or human traditions and especially not the emotions of people. Everything a pastor ever teaches must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, for this is the very mind of Christ. Go to John 1.1. John 1.1. Everything a pastor ever teaches must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God, for this is the very mind of Christ. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has not come into being. Or has, that has come into being, excuse me. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And then jump to verse 14. And this Word. This man, this Lord of ours, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Up here on the board. So we know from Scripture that Jesus Christ is the Word, the Logos. The Holy Bible is the very mind of Christ, the Word of God, the Son Himself, John 1.14. We must treat the Word as we would treat Jesus Christ in the flesh, as the ultimate authority in our lives. Pastors derive all leadership authority from the Word. We are under shepherds. We receive our authority from the Great Shepherd, who is also called, guess what? The Word, whose very mind is encapsulated right here, who's never changed who doesn't falter, who is infallible. So what we have then is real chain of command, if you would. So no pastor uh, 
uh, is worth as salt, if you would, if he's not intrinsically bound to the Word. If the Word doesn't contain a certain ordinance, let's say, then the pastor has no right to impose it on his flock. For his flock is actually God's flock. And that's 1 Peter 5.2. He has no right to impose certain ordinances. And I'm not talking about him deeming something necessary to get a job done in the church and as an exercise of authority. I'm talking about an actual ordinance. I'm talking about something being taught as uh, in Scripture when it isn't. That kind of a thing. Pastors are not to lord over God's flock, for they are servants themselves. Go to Matthew 20, 25. Matthew 20, 25. And by the way, this lesson was very well received. Uh, even though it was very convicting, Madhava came up to me afterwards and said uh, the pastors were kind of blown away um, by the amount of scripture and the amount of conviction on their souls. Because remember, if there's any looseness whatsoever, if there's not this kind of prevalent teaching, and I'm not saying they don't teach from the Bible, but the strength that this ministry teaches with is not... It's, it's somewhat uncommon. Uh, and so when they hear this kind of a thing, a lot of them get, it's almost like getting adjusted, you know? Like it's kind of like, whoa, I didn't even know I was out. Uh, and this is the feedback that I received from Madhava on behalf of, um, you know, I think we had 70 pastors ultimately. So pastors are not to lord over his flock, for they are servants themselves. Matthew 20, 25 but Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. No man has the right to add or subtract from the word of God. If that's what Jesus laid out, that if you want to be great, then you have to be a servant, then that's the way it is. You can't subtract that from scripture and then use it to lord over people. Deuteronomy 4.2, you shall not add to the word that uh, which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. We don't have a right. None of us do. Certainly not pastors. So first and foremost, a pastor must be called by the great shepherd himself. And this is where we begin to get more practical about what it means to lead a congregation. Remember, we're talking about leading a congregation. If you don't have the right constitution to do it because you actually weren't called in the first place, nothing's going to work out. Eventually you're going to prove yourself a, a phony. Even if you're a good guy or a believer, you're just confused or something. So first and foremost, a pastor must be called by the great shepherd himself, for it must be God's choice, not even the choice of the aspiring pastor. 
there are too many so-called pastors that are self-appointed. And this is not a, an American phenomenon. This was one of the conversations I had with Mott Haver. He said there's a lot of pastors here that they just don't seem like they're shepherds, not for me to specifically say per se, but that's the sense that he got. So there's a whole lot of this notion of self-appointed pastors, and it's interesting that the Spirit had me bring this out at this conference. These aren't actually real pastors, only counterfeits. And we do not assign spiritual gifts to ourselves. Rather, we are appointed by God. That's what 1 Corinthians 12 is all about, specifically 4 through 11. Self-appointed pastors are not really pastors. They're counterfeits. Anybody can call themselves a pastor. Anybody that has any, you know, skill can build a pulpit, technically, and throw up a tent and say, I'm Pastor Joe Schmo from Idaho, and here I am, right? And I've self-appointed. And people might even support the guy because he's tickling their ears, or who knows what the situation is. But it's not a um, novel concept, as I've learned. It's one of the things I learned traveling on the other side, that they have the same problem. And in some ways, it's worse, because they have this destitution, and they say, geez, I can make a good, fair amount of money being a pastor, so I'm just going to do this thing, and I'll just make my money this way. And even though they're not maybe pastors at all. We have seen in other parts of the world where some men have appointed themselves as pastors simply because there's no other work available. This is never a viable cause for pursuing pastorship. Just because you can't find another job is never a reason. It's not a viable cause to pursue being a pastor. In fact, it's a recipe for disaster. As the spirits taught us in the past even, if you can't hold down a regular job, what makes you think that God wants you to attempt holding down the office of a pastor? If you can't hold down a regular job, what makes you think that you're going to be able to hold down one like this? God does not bless self-appointed pastors. Go to 1 Corinthians 12.4. 1 Corinthians 12.4. First Corinthians 12.4. I had an interesting conversation with one of the village pastors that I'll share before I close. We might go a little long, so, hey, welcome home. <laughs> you showed up. <laughs> First Corinthians 12.4. Now, because I, I can't spill over. These are, these are compartmentalized uh, lessons. First Corinthians 12.4. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by, one, by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. You see? Just as He wills, not as man wills, 
as he wills. That's a very important thing. So up here on the board, the key to shepherding, and I am convinced of this, um, because if you really are chosen, you shouldn't really worry about how you're going to get the job done, because if he chose you, he's going to provide grace to fill your vat, so to speak. The key to becoming a pastor is simple. You ready? God chooses you. That's that simple. You don't choose. God chooses who he wills. We just read that, right? If he chooses you, he appoints you. If he appoints you, he provides you with all the necessary abilities by grace to perform your duties as unto the Lord. In other words, he's never going to put this yoke on you and say, good luck. I'll see you in 70 years. <laughs> these duties will reflect the heart of Christ towards his own sheep. So these things come together. It's sort of all or nothing. It's not like he's going to say, well, maybe I'm going to choose you. I'm going to choose you, but then I'm going to leave you high and dry. No, he said, I'm going to choose you to this special office. I'm going to provide you with everything necessary to fulfill it. Jesus taught his disciples about this. Go to John 10, 7. John 10, 7. John 10, verse 7. <clears throat> so Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Up here in the board. This hired hand, this refers to a person who isn't really a chosen under-shepherd. The proof arises when they are put to the test. You see, God likes to test us. And there are tests in the Bible specifically for under-shepherds. And if you fail the test, you either don't have the gift or you're not ready yet or something's not there. But there's an awful lot of testing. The proof arises when they are put to the test. Since they desired pastorship for personal reasons, their convictions will fail eventually, leaving the sheep exposed. And that's what Jesus was saying. These are hired hands. They're not the real deal. And when trouble comes, in other words, the wolf, they run away and they leave the sheep high and dry. Why? Because they were in it for themselves in the first place. They hired themselves. They self-appointed themselves. Look at verse 13. He flees. Why? Because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which I are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will come, become one flock with one shepherd. So if you read between the lines there, what Jesus is saying ultimately is that he desires unity in the body of Christ. Hired hands, false prophets, false teachers, false pastors, they're all counterfeits. They don't 
they don't actually foster unity. They f make fractures. And I'm telling you, there can either be an unbeliever or a swell believer. This is not about uh, being a nice guy or desiring something more than the next person. God chooses under shepherds. And that's that. And that's the end of the story. Jesus Christ desires unity in the body of Christ. Pastors are appointed to foster this unity. False prophets, teachers, pastors will sow discord in the body eventually. Go to Ephesians 4.11. Ephesians 4.11. So there has to be fruit. And there is fruit that we can look at. Uh, in the lives even of these so-called men of God. Ephesians 4.11. And he gave, notice that man does not choose. What does it say? And he gave, God gives, some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. There's that unity. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. That's why he gets to choose. Because self-appointed individuals, I don't even care what the spiritual gift is. But specifically in communication gifts like pastor, teacher, especially pastors. If he didn't choose, then there's going to be disunity. There's going to be fractures. Because someone's out serving themselves. And it just so happens to be the so-called head of a church, maybe. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Up here on the board, the point the Spirit's making is obvious, I hope. The unity of the faith, Jesus Christ motivates His true under-shepherds to guide all sheep to a life of unity. Believers are family, after all. Members of one body, the church, the bride of Christ. We are said to be in Christ, which means he is the very essence of our unity. Go to Colossians 1.16. Again, Jesus Christ motivates his true under-shepherds to guide all sheep to a life of unity. Believers are family after all. Members of one body, the church, the bride of Christ. We are said to be in Christ, which means... He is the very essence of our unity. Colossians 1.16 For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Yeah, He is the very essence of unity. And remember the spirit that we just noted in 1 Corinthians 12. That's the very spirit of Christ. So the spirit of Christ and Christ himself are never going to disagree on who's who. Therefore, again, up here on the board, <clears throat> all authority. This means that any man who exercises authority, oversight, over a congregation of sheep has been delegated that authority from the great shepherd. After all things are created... For him, the one who all authority has been given. And his spirit is the one who assigns spiritual gifts. This means that any man who exercises authority, oversight over a congregation of sheep has been delegated that authority.
from the great shepherd himself, Jesus Christ. This also means that any exercise of authority must be consistent with the will of Jesus, hence the emphasis on the word of God in the life of a pastor. This means that all pastors, then, are servants of the word. In order to serve honorably under the great shepherd, an under-shepherd must serve the word. He must both submit to its authority and teach from that authority as the bedrock of his ministry. Above all, pastors must be humble servants. We just noted that as well. You want to be great? You're going to be a servant. Matthew 23.11, go there. Matthew 23.11, in order to serve honorably under the great shepherd, an under-shepherd must serve the word he must both submit to its authority and teach from that authority as the bedrock of his ministry. Above all, pastors must be humble servants. Matthew 23, 11. But the greatest among you shall be your what? Servant. There you go. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. So all I can say on that front is if you're pretending to be a pastor and you're really not given that gift, you will be humbled eventually. It may or may not be pretty. It could be a private matter. I don't know. It's not my business. But that's what the Scripture says. But if you're a humble pastor, you will be exalted. How do I know? Because that's what Scripture says. <laughs> and a humble person is a servant. I mean, that's the way it goes. As I prepared to close that day, um, you know, I said this to the audience, I think, you know, based on, even though they didn't speak my language and I could see, you know, some of them were kind of, you know, clunking along. Um, I could see some of them were sort of doe-eyed and not deer in the headlight, but a little bit, you know, you ready for this one? <laughs> one of those kind of things. Not all of them. Some were like gleefully so enthralled with just being fed the word. Um, but some were, I could tell, weren't so happy, uh, maybe a little convicted. Um, maybe they were having, you know, second good thoughts. Um, and so I said, you know, to all of you who think you might have the God-given spiritual gift of pastor, I submit this. So you think you're a pastor. The greatest way to lead is to first learn how to follow. Some of these people have never learned how to follow. A lot of people go from zero to 600 miles an hour because they have no patience. And no patience is a fast-track indicator of arrogance. You've got to have patience, my friends, in just about any spiritual gift. But in this spiritual gift, you better have a lot of patience. You better have a lot of it. I mean it. And if you can't show that patience, then guess what? God didn't give you the gift because that gift comes with patience. Let me say that again. If you don't have patience, then you don't have the gift. Because these things have to come together. Do you understand? If you're going to serve the Lord, then you have to serve Him the way He wants you to serve. Patiently. The greatest way to lead is to first learn how to follow. I could probably, I could probably teach ten lessons on that. For everyone, not just pastors. But you understand the the magnitude 
of that statement for pastors is much greater. If you cannot follow, if you don't understand authority orientation, you will make the crappiest leader in the history of mankind. Why? Ask, answer this question for yourself. If you can't understand authority orientation to the degree that you can follow it, that you can submit to the chain of command, what makes you think you inserting yourself higher up in the chain is a good idea? You see, authority orientation is a concept that exists, and a person with integrity understands it doesn't matter if they're the leader or the follower. The concept is rock solid. It doesn't matter where you're at. Read about David. He didn't care where he was at. He just said, let me serve the Lord. Oh, you want to make me a king? I'm not worthy, but I'll do it. You want me to kill that Goliath over there? I'll do it. Wrestle with these animals? I guess I'll do it. It's your word. Whatever you want me to do, Lord. That's proper authority orientation. So if you can't pass the test to follow, then how dare you insert yourself higher up the food chain and create even greater havoc in the lives of others, possibly innocent people. Happens every day. Anyways, so you think you're a pastor. The greatest way to lead is to first learn how to follow. In fact, our great example, Jesus Christ, was subservient to his father's plan. If you think you may have the spiritual gift of pastor teacher, then submit yourself to the word. And whatever the word says, even regarding the fruit of said gift, you have to take that as what it is, the word of God, as fact, as the mind of Christ, the great shepherd. Submit to the word. Commit yourself with the same fervency of those who have preceded you, starting with Jesus. Integrity to the chain of command is an absolute necessity to lead a congregation. Remember, that was the topic, leading a congregation. Integrity to the chain of command is an absolute necessity to lead a congregation. And don't say that you're authority. Tammy and I were talking about this the other day. Don't say that you're an authority-oriented if you only follow authority when you like it. That's not authority orientation. That makes you like the, the average American, bozo. Isn't that what we're teaching our kids? Obey until the point where you disagree and then question it at every corner and attack it and try to undermine it in the process and make little fiefdoms of individuals and then go after the, the one in authority. Although we just learned that all authority is from Jesus Christ. So who are you really attacking? So integrity, if you can't handle that, then do not make the mistake of inserting yourself higher up the food chain. Integrity to the chain of command is an absolute necessity to lead a congregation. Do not be fooled into thinking that you have the authority to delegate yourself as a pastor. For if God has not ordained your office, guess what? It does not exist. If God has not ordained your office, it does not exist. One last bit of advice that I gave these individuals, then I've got some closing remarks. Not every pastor has the same type of ministry. Do not try to mimic another's ministry. While pastors can share and learn from each other, the pastor's calling, his sheep, his ministry, will be unique to him. It's one of the best lessons I was taught at a very early 
stage in my career, so to speak, is that you're supposed to lead with your own personality. You're supposed to follow God, the Holy Spirit. If the Lord himself has called you to be a pastor, then lead the way you know best how to. If you're quiet, then lead quietly. If you're loud, then lead loudly. Do not change your personality because you think you'd make a better pastor if you did. Remember, if you are truly a pastor, you were chosen, and God knew your personality even before he chose you to lead a portion of his flock. So, be yourself in Christ. And if you're truly a chosen pastor, then be yourself as one. And that was the close. That's how I left it with this group. We had an afternoon session that I'll share with you next time um, called The Pastor's Example. But that's how I left it with this group. And I just want to give you some closing remarks. That was the close of that lesson, how to lead or leading a congregation. And as you can see, the Spirit put a lot of emphasis on actually being a true under-shepherd. It wasn't necessarily, oh, I'm going to give you, you know, the 10 steps to be a successful pastor. Because I don't believe it's my place. It's my place to teach Scripture. It's my job, at least in this case, to encourage individuals to make sure that they are actually chosen. Because I have faith that if they truly are chosen, God will make it a thing for them. We'll make it happen. So as you can see, the Spirit put a lot of emphasis on being a true under-shepherd, drawing the biblical conclusion that if the Lord has called you to this unique office, then He will enable you to perform your duties. The implication is simple. If you don't reveal the fruit of a pastor, then you cannot stake a claim to the spiritual gift. Let me say that again. The implication is simple. If you do not reveal the fruit of a pastor, then you cannot stake a claim to the spiritual gift. So I'll close with a couple of more principles here. <clears throat> Identifiable proof. Remember, we talked about this earlier. Self-appointed pastors will reveal themselves by being unable to fulfill the requirements clearly stated in Holy Scripture. It's one of the few spiritual gifts that has chapters written about it. It's not a mistake. It's not picking on these people. It's because these people have been given the authority of the great shepherd to lead his flock. Don't you think there might be some extra standards in view? Don't you think that he would inspire full chapters, even books called pastoral epistles, because of the, the magnitude, the responsibility of this job? You bet, and that's exactly what he's done. And so... If you're a pastor, you know a pastor, you think you might know a pastor, this kind of a thing, go to the Word of God. Don't look them in the eye and go, geez, you look so earnest, and you sound so intent. So what? So what? Let's discern some fruit in your life. Let's look at what's really going on, because people do this, right? People do this an awful lot, and then they stand behind pulpits. Self-appointed pastors will reveal themselves by being unable to fulfill the requirements clearly stated in Holy Scripture. This is not Pastor Ed's conjecture. I'm leaning on the Word of God, just like I taught you, right? 
My authority is the word of God. That's the very mind of Christ. Who am I to disobey what he says? Who am I to say, well, let me make adjustments. Let me say Deuteronomy 4, 2. Let me throw you out because I'm going to subtract a couple of things. Let me erase that because it's 2017. I mean, everybody's doing this. Let me erase this over here. And let me add emotionalism. And let me add uh, uh, fervency. And we'll take away some of these other things that are clearly stated in Scripture. I don't have that right. If I did, I would teach it, honestly. But I don't have that right. We are given very practical guidelines to discern true pastors. For example, but not limited to, marriage, family, communal life, spiritual readiness, etc., etc. These are not Pastor Ed's conjectures. These are not my standards. These are the Lord's. These are the ones His Spirit inspired in the written Word of God. Imagine that. It's right there. This is a wonderful blessing for all of us because we don't have to merely depend upon the statements of individuals. There are lots of people out there that have staked a claim to pastorship, some even standing behind pulpits. But, as we've learned over the years, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap, my friends. You shall know them by their fruit. If their fruit reveals something different than the clearly stated qualifications set forth in Holy Scripture, then we have the godly right to dismiss them as viable pastors. We're not judging anyone. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're not saying they're not a swell guy. We're doing what we're supposed to do. What does Scripture say? Well, I'm confused. What does it mean to be a pastor? What, do they have fruit? Yeah, they do. Where is it found? Right here. Oh, then let me look at what the Word says. and you know, Stop talking for a second. Let me see what the Word has to say. Oh, okay, I see. I see. If their fruit reveals something different than the clearly stated qualifications set forth in Holy Scripture, then we have the godly right to dismiss them as viable pastors. For example, consider a self-appointed pastor that cannot manage his own household. What do we have for Scripture? 1 Timothy 3, 4-5, He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? Duh. Pretty solemn though, right? If you can't manage your own house, what makes you think you're a pastor? What makes you think you have the ability to manage the house of God or a flock of sheep? If you can't manage the maniacs that are in your four walls, that you live with, what makes you think you're going to handle these maniacs? I'm serious. That's the way it goes, my friends. That's not Pastor Ed. If you don't like Scripture, take it up with God. That's the way it goes. I met with one pastor, for example, I met with one pastor in India. Now, this is goofy, okay? I'm going to put this into perspective, and I want to show you, and I'm saying this in complete humility, I'm going to show you what integrity looks like, okay? Mine. And it's good because you had a good representative at this table. Joe will attest. Remember Vijay Kumar? So when I arrived to this village, 
Literally, there was pomp and circumstance. I mean, music blasting out. This guy was apparently completely in love with the Lord, with the ability to fellowship. He had his own little pastor's conference. There was like 12 or 13 of them, right, gathered around. I mean, they put multiple uh, flower lays on my neck, a, a blanket, the wife was... It was amazing, honestly. It was like... And there was no reason other than I found out later someone was speaking in tongues, but I'll leave that for another day. Um, there was no reason for me to suggest or think that this guy, you know, whatever. I'm, not, I'm still to this day. It's not my business, strictly speaking. But So I met with this pastor in India that wasn't working. So he, t- he invites us back to his house, feeds us like a servant, a meal that I know that they don't eat because meat there is very expensive. And this is in one of the very poor areas of India. But yet we're eating like kings. And they're not even eating. So then after the meal, as is sort of customary, the, you know, the heads of state, if you would, sit down and talk business. And uh, he told me he wasn't working. And he was asking me for support. And I asked him why he wasn't working. And he had a family, a wife and two kids. And he said he was a full-time pastor. And I gave him the following scripture and described to him the three or so years that I was a full-time pastor too, and I held a full-time job as well to provide for my family. And this is the scripture I gave him. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I said that to his face after he just fed me a wonderful meal. I'm still grateful to the guy. I'm being honest with him, right? I'm giving him scripture. I'm telling him the truth. So he wakes up. I don't know if he's a pastor or not. That's between him and the Lord. But I'm telling him the truth. I'm like, listen, dude, if you got to work to provide for those, love, those lovely three women right there, the two young ones and the, the wife, then do it. Not because Pastor Ed says so, because the scripture says so. Just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that it trumps this. This comes first. What do we just read in Timothy? If you can't take care of your house, you have no right trying to take care of a church. I said it right to him his face. In so many words, I told him to get a job. Right to his face. I said, get a job. I said, even Paul was a tent maker, and he worked when he had to. Get a job. If a person claims they are a pastor and yet leads his family into shambles after said proclamation, we can rest assured that the Lord has not graced them with said spiritual gift. I'm not saying this is exactly what's going. I'm speaking in tenets here and doctrines. How can we say this? Easy. Holy Scripture uses the word must several times so there's no question about it. A pastor must be this. Must not be that. Must be this. Must not be that. Must have this. Must possess that. Must not be young, lest they, you know, fall in the snare. Is that Pastor Ed? No. Don't believe me? Read the Bible for yourself. But don't add or subtract from it. Look at it for what it really says. And if that, if that means there's 13 pastors in the whole world... That must be God's will. We don't get to say, well, there's not enough around here. God doesn't need you deciding. Maybe there's a judgment on the people in that area. How the heck do we know? 
but you don't get to say, well, there's a real need. Uh, leave that up to God. You see what I'm saying? You get, you get the drift. So there I sat with this individual, not the most comfortable ending of a nice, you know. All one has to do is read the Bible regarding such things, and it becomes very clear who is and who isn't a true pastor, regardless of what comes out of their mouths. Okay, that's cool. Let's look at Scripture. What about this? I don't want, I don't want, to, I don't want to talk anymore. There's a lot of swindlers and a lot of con men out there. I don't want to talk anymore. I don't want to hear your smooth speech and your, and your, uh, your sales pitch. What about your life? Show me your life. That's what I want to see. I want to see what the Bible says. Is, are these things in order? Because if they're not, let's talk another day. Get your stuff together. We'll talk another day. Until then, keep praying and make sure that this is what you think you have in the first place. Because you might be missing out where you're supposed to be. I don't know. All somebody has to do is read the Bible. I'm so glad, even for myself. You don't think there were times I went like this? Oh, maybe I'm not one. You can get out of this yoke. <laughs> so this was one of the key things, just to finish up. This was one of the key things the Spirit had me teach this group of pastors in India. But as I'll share on Sunday, people are people are people. That's what I've learned. That's the theme, right, Joey? I said at the end of it, this is what I've learned. People are people are people. They're a little darker, a little shorter. Uh, on the other side of the planet, don't speak a language that we speak, but people are people are people. There's goodness and there's evil. You see the good in people and you see the flesh. It's whatever. People do the same things. They make the same mistakes. But as I started with this evening, the word transcends it all, and it brings us all together. And, and the, the, the prayer for all of us should be that we find unity by casting off um, all the fleshly lusts and desires to be this or that, this spiritual gift, that spiritual gift, this person, that person, this thing, that thing. If we, the idea is that we cast all those things off, and we don't care. We don't care. We're just trying to glorify God. Amen? That's all we're trying to do. And I saw it. Trust me, Joey, we saw an awful lot of that. Is that fair? I mean, it was, it was um, inspiring. Sounds like I'm being tough, but I'm tough on those who are given much. Let me put it that way. To whom much is given, much is required. If you were to guess which conference I was the toughest, it was the first. Of course. Of course it was the first. But we saw some amazing things. Wonderful wonderful things. But again, as I'll share on Sunday, people are people are people. There are false pastors in every corner of this world who repeatedly fail up to live to the divine standard set forth in Holy Scripture. All I can say this in closing is be thankful you have the Bible to guide your discernment. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for gathering us together to break bread, this bread that sustains our very life. Thank you for imparting to us the very mind of Christ. Thank you for truth that sets us free. 
We ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.